Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. back in time the season's past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday fighting for one more first down one more yard gain one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats welcome to gridiron greats football history and its memorabilia on the gridiron greats publishing and broadcasting network in conjunction with slick enterprise we're live from the Wallingford for Connected home of Good Iron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Good Iron Greats Magazine. And I'll be your host for the show. Good Iron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140 plus years of football history and memorabilia. And you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website for one of the largest selections of vintage football and vintage football memorabilia. Check out the website at msbsportscards.com. And we're also sponsored in part by BST Auctions. Become a new bidder if you haven't been already, and check out their latest information on their upcoming auctions. Check out their website at bstauctions.com. At this time, I'd like to introduce my co-host, He's a senior contributing writer to Good Iron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. I'd like to welcome Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Captain, good afternoon, sir. And how are you doing this afternoon? Not bad. Uh, Raining here in Portland. What else is new? Well, we're, we're, we're kind of known for our we're kind of known for our rain. <laughs> I want to lead off the show tonight by talking about a very interesting auction that occurred a little while ago. And oh, we yeah. talked a little bit about talked a little bit about this in previous shows, and we talked about it uh, via the phone also. There was a Joe Namath 1965 Tops rookie card, graded yes, in PSA number nine, and it sold for $264,000, <laughs> including buyer's premium. Yep. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Why? I am definitely not the demographic for that. Uh <laughs> 
yeah, no I, doubt I about it. Um, now, but uh, you know, it it seems you and I offline have talked a few times about you know it seems like prices are starting to go up on things. Uh, Hall of Fame rookie cards, especially in higher uh, higher grades, uh, they used to be a little more you know they used to be a little more uh, accessible, and now they're they're not. Uh, I mean, take take for take for example. Nagurski PSA eight. Uh, if if you want one, you know you probably can't find one. Uh, it, it's just it's not available. Just because there's a you know six of them out there, doesn't mean they're for sale. Uh, right. It, you know, it, it, it used to be the same thing with like a larger rookie card. There were four of them when I started getting into the collecting, and I tried for years to find one, couldn't find one, and. A Namath nine is is the same. There's there's people out there and present company included. I used to be one of those who wanted the highest grade card I could afford. <clears throat> there's people out there who want the highest grade, and I can you know rattle off about three names I can think of. You know, Museum of Sports History used to be one. Uh, you know, it's just there's people who want the highest, and some of these are collectibles. I mean, it, they're not making any more of these things, and if you so can find you one, that's it. In your opinion, yep. is this good or bad for the hobby? And you know, you know, I got mixed feelings on it one way or the other. So you've 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 been you've been uh, wearing off of me lately, Captain. I mean, I used to be a set collector. <laughs> uh, I, I I sold off quite a few of my high grade sets several years ago, and you know, I used to collect wax packs. And after speaking to a couple guests, I stopped collecting wax packs when I had two people in a, two people in two shows in a row say half the wax out there is probably resealed or doctored in some way. Um, right. I, 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 I pivoted my collection several years ago. Uh, thanks to a couple of the boys at MSB, you know, to, uh, to be more rare than, than condition sensitive. The, the populations on some of these cards is going to go up, you know, uh, I mentioned right. large and rookie card. I had the fifth large and rookie card in PSA 10, and now I think there's like 17. So I'm not saying there, well, there will be more nines appearing, but there's a possibility. Uh, but again, you get, again, we'll look at the, the difference in the years and the amount printed and the amount that's still floating around there. Yep. It's very possible yep. there's still unopened, unopened packs of some of the seven floating around that are, you know, buried yep. or whatever. And people still have it, and they, they break open that pack, and they, they pull yep. a pristine, you know, beautiful card yep. and send it to be graded. Obviously, if you, get, yep. if you go back to older cards, it's less and less of the, uh, you know, better condition cards coming out in the market. I mean, you know, in all the years I've been collecting, I look at the 35 National Chickle, and yeah. I, I never had any chickles graded, but probably my best chickle that I actually bought over the years was probably in X-Near Mint condition. I would have probably have graded yeah. a six or a seven. I really have never seen perfect National Chickle cards, as far as I'm concerned, because they possibly could have been altered and or, you know, improved yep. in some way. And, I, yep. I, and, and I, I'm and i saying to myself, too, how many really, you know, lasted that long type of thing? So then we can tie in it, with this incredible figure for this name of card. Yep. What then are the rare sets that are out there in the football card market? Something else we talked about. And, it, too. and it's tough. 
it's tough. Uh, what this price, what this price on a PSA nine, name it does, to the hobby, in my opinion, is bad because it 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 shines a light on money. And when there's money, there are, you know, card doctors. There are nefarious people out there who, you know, I, you know. I wrote a I wrote an article for Gridiron Greats about the forty eight leaf set. It's probably one of the most doctored sets out there, and I I would say the chickle is close behind it. So. Here's a quarter million dollars plus for a PSA 9 and name it. We know that there is a very subtle difference uh, between a really high-end PSA 8 and a slider PSA 9. So how many right. PSA 8 name cards are going to be broken out of slabs, uh, have a little bit of polish put on them, uh, you know, and or trimmed or et cetera? So how many, how many card doctors or how many people are out there now scarfing up PSA 8s and cracking them out? So, right. you know, right. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's very subjective, the difference between a PSA 8 high grade and a PSA 9. It's very subjective. And, and I, sadly, that and I, the subjectiveness is in, is in California. A lesser grade card, a 7 or 8, to me, looks better than a 9 in some cases. You know what I mean? So, I, I switched my 48 leaf collection from PSA 8 that I started to see a lot more trimming happening to uh, really, really good-looking PSA 6s and 7s. Now I'm happy with my collection. I love my P- my 48-leaf set. And I'm about 75% of the way through it in PSA 6 and 7. You know? And there's nothing wrong with and, that. Yeah. If, if you've got a legitimate card, that's, that's what it's all about. And I can, you know, I, I've looked over my P- my uh, 48 and 49 leafs over the years, and since you started talking about the trimming and whatever, I know i got a couple of cards that are short, but as far as I'm concerned, because of the condition, I know they they weren't trimmed. You know what I mean? I think it just, yeah. they just came out of the came out of the packs at the time, and you know because of use over the years and storage and whatever, they're just off. You know. And, uh, well, and, I, I and, and look what that I, trimming I, look what that trimming did to the 48 leaf set prices. Uh, you know, right. you can pick up. There's a there's a PSA eight Bobby Lane rookie card that went for fifty thousand dollars you know, five, six years ago, that is now as a buy it now for like fifteen or seventeen thousand dollars on eBay. Wow. And it's trimmed. Wow. It's it's very obviously trimmed. It's ugly. Um, you know? Yeah. It's it's fascinating. So it, it basically torpedoes it. So you know, if some people start trimming or doctoring some PSA eight NamUs and they start slipping them into PSA nine NamUs, I you know, I've my fingers crossed that it doesn't hurt anybody in the hobby or turn people off from the hobby because at the end of the day, it's a hobby. It should be enjoyable, but you know, money does get in the way. Right. Right. And, and it kind of bothers me because, you know, being in the hobby as long as I have, I've seen literally every fad come and go. And now yeah. I'm seriously concerned because, you know, if you're going to way overpay for a card, I mean, I can remember people way overpaying for a near mint card versus an X card, so on and so forth. Yeah. Now you're talking about thousands yeah. upon thousands of dollars because it's graded, and you got a lousy graded yeah. card that you overpaid for that shouldn't be that grade. How how really does that impact the hobby? Does it does it say to the people of the high end collector, hey, I'm done. I could put the same money in and and someplace else and and have a little more legitimacy <laughs> to it, and and have a better investment in the long run because you know anybody's somebody you're kidding yourself if you don't think the investment 
uh, concept is not there as far as sales of good cards are concerned. I don't care what anybody says. Well, that's not. You know, there's not, there was a, a lot of people buying yeah. them for investments more than anything else. You're spot on. Uh, there was a guy in uh, in Denver. Min Young Son was his name. Uh, he opened Rocky Mountain, uh, the Rocky Mountain Collection. What the Rocky Mountain yeah. Collection was was a hedge yeah. fund. It was a hedge fund predicated on buying very rare, high-grade cards. I mean, he owned uh, right. a, a couple of 19. He owned a couple of Babe Ruth. He owned some high-grade Namus. He he owned it. If it was rare and high-grade, he owned it. Uh, and five years later, he sold them, and his fund did very well. I, I knew men, I knew men pretty well, and I remember when he sold, he's like, "Well, the, you know, we had a five-year shelf life on the fund. I mean, it's a nice collection, but it's got to be sold, you know, for to cash people out." He did very, very right. well. He invested at the right time. Uh, so yes, it is an investment. I mean, even when I buy stuff, it's an investment. Um, I, I I sold some of my cards, you know, four or five years ago. Like I mentioned, I bought a commercial building, you know, when I thought them, you know, when I thought the real estate market market was low. Right. Uh, so and, and my commercial building is doing very well. So it's I don't know it's fascinating, <clears throat> but it, it having a having a, a PSA nine card like that, you know, sell for that much is good and bad for the hobby. Mostly bad. What I'd rather see is a very very rare, you know, uh, you know, rare low grade card sell for a lot, because suddenly scarcity right. would be trumping you know quality. I mean. Right. We can use the examples of the Shotwells or the Spaldings or any of those types of cards. Um, they're rare. Yeah, exactly. And really find a high-grade card in a high-grade, you have something very valuable there. Yep. If a PSA 4, you know, you know Mayo Dunlop sold for $100,000, I'd have a smile on my face because suddenly, you know, You'd be be getting right. rarity over over grade, you know. Speaking of rarity, Captain. Yes. It's your show. <laughs> well, speaking of rarity too, again, you're correct in your assumption. I I could see any type of purchase of an older card in better grade condition, either graded or and or raw. And to me, that has much more value in the long run. I feel it has much more long, yes, much more value yep. in the long run based upon that. And again, yeah. with yep. the market the way it is right now, with that kind of money being chased for those types of cards yep. because they're buying the trade. Again, not to sound like uh, Mr. Doomsday here, but it's it's just I don't think it's a good <laughs> idea for that. And uh, I, no. I will, you know, complain about it. And I have complained about it for for many years now, and uh, hopefully, um, I really hope one day the market will police itself a little more better, and will actually come to grips of what's a real value for some of these cards. Because again, as we yeah. all know, I still got my name as rookie from when I was a kid. Probably would grade a four, <laughs> a four or a five at the most, and. Yep. I'll be darned if I'll get that card graded. You know what I mean? So uh, it's worth more sentimentally than it is, you know, in any kind of holder. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So exactly. So I brought up. Uh, and I got you and I were talking uh, last week before the show about rare, rare cards, and uh, we started rattling off a few, and we decided, you know, before the show to talk about rare cards. 
So, and you know, you know, for those listening, Bob and I usually call in about five minutes early and you know talk, and we spend the week prior to a show discussing a topic and talking about it. I mean, Bob and I are Bob and I are friends who love talking about football, and then every once in a while we pick up the phone and record it and talk football. Uh, it's kind of kind of fun. I've said it before. I have the best seat in the house. So, uh, Bob, I did find that card I was talking about before the show. Uh, uh, the rare, the rare red grain card I was talking about. Okay, hold that card until our next show, and I'm going to do some research on it too, and we'll we'll keep our audience in suspense until that time. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds good. So next show, rare rare cards is the topic. All right. And at this time, and if like anybody has any ideas, email us. Oh, sorry, Bob. At this time, I'd like to introduce our special guest. His collection has been featured in numerous publications and TV shows over the years. He was on our podcast back in 2012, and he was also our super collector in Good Iron Greats issue number 35. In my opinion, he has one of the most comprehensive and complete collections of Green Bay Packer memorabilia in the country. I, 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 I am just in awe of it, to say the least. And without further hesitation, I'd like to introduce <laughs> to our show, Mr. Glenn Christensen. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob and Joe, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Uh, I, Excellent. I want to... Uh, I want to uh, brief our audience, uh, Glenn, you've come up with a catalog, which you were very generous in sending to me. And yeah. after I had a stroke, stroke looking at it a few times, and Brenda, wanted, <laughs> Brenda wanted to know if I needed uh, oxygen or whatever. And then she started looking at it, and she says, well, this is what your collection should be organized like and look like downstairs. <laughs> and I said... Uh, well, we probably need another compound within the compound here to do that. So, Glenn, let me start off with our traditional question. Please tell our audience once again an incredible story of how you got into collecting Green Bay Packer items. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Bob and Joe, the uh, collection actually started back in about 93, 94. Um, I... Uh, Went to visit my mom back in uh, Wisconsin. I had moved the family here down to Texas, and uh, we went back there. And, you know, I was an avid Packer fan and my entire life, and that's all I talked about. And Well, I knew my mom was involved with the Packers, but I didn't really grasp how, you know, the depth of it and so forth until, uh, you know, she sat me down and, you know, I heard stories through the years, and I heard, you know, always heard about, you know, well, you know, Don Hudson sent his card again this year, and, you know, I I didn't really put two and two together who Don uh, Don was and so forth. Uh, now I know he's a good family friend, and I wish I would have known that a little earlier in my life. But um, anyway, my mom said, you know, Glenn, I, of all the kids, I think you'd appreciate my things that I've uh, kept from my Packer years. And, and that was from the 19, early 1940 to 45 approximately. And she was a first incredible first uh, majorette with the green Bay Packer lumberjack band. And uh, my mom was a baton twirler. Um, 
at East High School, and Curly Lambeau uh, was in attendance and saw her uh, do a baton routine at halftime. And he said, you know, we need to get a pretty blonde uh, to soften up that gruff lumberjack band. And anybody that knows Curly's past, he uh, there wasn't a blonde that he, he didn't t- check out. So um, Curly, Curly uh, Lambeau hit on your mom, Gwen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My last wow. name might have been different than Christensen had things gone different. <laughs> <You're okay. laughs> I think about that often, trust me. Um, <laughs> a little scary, but uh, anyway, uh, she, um, she got a call from uh, Wilner Burke, the longtime uh, director of the Lumberjack Band, and and they, uh, you know, she was going to get paid. I think it was two dollars a game, plus travel expense uh, with the team to uh, to go to all the games, and she would uh, perform at halftime and before the game, and so forth. And and she became a hit, and uh, and then subsequently they added some more gals, and and uh, you know it, it continued all the way through the to the Golden Girls, uh, you know, of uh, Mary Jane. Uh, who, turned out to be uh, Curly's girlfriend uh, years later. But um, anyway, she she sat me down and she gave me letters that the Packers had written to her. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, her programs, her field passes from all of the games uh, that, uh, you know, their silk field passes, they were just great. And uh, she gave me her baton. And, you know, I took them back to Texas and uh, uh, along with a lot of great stories that she told me. And um, I took them back to Texas and I said, you know, I can't just keep these in a box. I've got to, you know, I think I'm going to display them in my office at at home. And so I I tacked up the batons on the wall and uh, and framed the poster or framed the the, uh, pen, uh, the uh, program. This is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and the field passes and and the letters and so forth and and I thought well shoot I've got stuff from when I was a kid and I so I uh, went up in our attic we don't have basements here unfortunately and uh, I had I still brought my uh, my electric football set uh, of course it was Packers oh. Cowboys they had to have the ice bowl uh, uh, oh, represented awesome. when I was a kid wow. you know and I can't imagine how many times I. I turned that game on and let those players buzz around the field. Uh, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think there was a better game. Um, but I had a couple of pennants. I had a single bar Packer helmet and a, a double bar uh, Packer helmet and uh, uh, pennant. And I had my Packer helmet from when I was a kid. And I, I think I even had a bobblehead um, from back then. So I started putting it all together and, Little by little, the collection started to take shape, and uh, you know, of course, then you start looking for commercial, commercially uh, available products that, you know, that um, modern day things, I guess, because they're affordable and so forth. And that's how I, what I supplemented my uh, collection with. And um, but that's that's how the that's how the uh, the collection started. You know, I uh, had I known my, you know. Everything that was involved, and my my dad was involved with the Packers. Uh, well, he he worked for um, 
for Don Hudson uh, at his car dealership. And uh, funny thing, my dad looked like Don mm. Hudson. And so when people would come in and uh, get a uh, buy a car, uh, Don would send out a would typically give them a signed football. And um, wow. <laughs> and so like a lot of celebrities, he got tired of that. So when my dad came on and he looked like Don, he'd send my dad out. And uh, those oh. people would think that it was Don handing him a football. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, my dad was an artist. And, That's uh, pretty. With, uh, uh, my dad was uh, with Romo Display in Green Bay when they first uh, did the uh, Packer G decals. And uh, uh, so that uh, that whole thing kind of webbed into this collection um you know i when i was a kid he had packages of packer g's in the in the basement uh the original packer helmet decals and uh, when i was a young kid i mean i'm four years old i thought for sure one day that the g stood for glenn and um i stuck those everywhere in the basement while my dad was at work and <laughs> oh no uh, Oh, I think about it all the time, and uh, you know what those would be worth today. You know, just I bet he had two hundred of them, and uh, uh, you know, I of course that's my business. I I own some printing companies, and I make decals. And trust me, that was one of the things I made when I bought my company. I made some stacks of Packer G decals and put them in brown paper, and they're in my collection to remind me of the mistake I made. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, I love it. Uh, the family has a a big connection to the Packers over the years, and and that's that's how my Packer collection started. So, wow, well, long winded, long winded uh, answer. Uh, hey, hey, the art of storytelling is elaboration, sir. Uh, <laughs> I, I I gotta say, when you Bob shared your pictures with me, and my wife and I share a you know little home office, her desk is next to mine. I opened up the pictures and I started looking. And excuse me, Bob, but I, I just went, holy shit. And my, my wife's like, what, what, what? And, and I'm like, because yeah, it's been six years since I've seen your, your room, and I'm just like, look at this. And, uh, yeah. We moved about six, six months ago, and I used to have a room in my basement that I kept, you know, all my collection in. And I go, sure. well, check this out. This guy's got two rooms full of stuff, and now my large set is stuffed into a closet in the basement. I mean, you know, come on, sweetie. I need a, I need a, a, a man cave. And she's like, there well, you by the go. looks of it, it looks like. His, she goes, by the looks of it, it looks like his stuff is actually worth something. And she turned around <laughs> and walked out of the room, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, oh, that's awful. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be filing for divorce here soon. There you go. Uh, there you go. That's ground. But I gotta ask, Glenn. I mean, I, you know, you have an incredible uh, collection. What, what, what have you added since you, since we had you on in 2012? What have you added since uh, since 2012 that you can tell us about? Well, yeah, I've I've added quite a bit since 2012. You know, uh, I think the last time we talked, I was getting ready to bust the wall out um, from my current right. space, which is about 600 mm. square feet. And I I moved into uh, an adjacent room, uh, which added about 150 square feet to it. And I built lockers in there that replicated the the new locker room of the at Lambo and um I did carpet it I was I I arranged to get the um 
the end zone turf from Super Bowl 45 that was held down here in Arlington. I bought the um, P from Packers, and because uh, I was at that game and I I was in the end zone, right in front of me was Nick Collins kneeling on that P, and I was like, oh, wow. I wonder where that uh, wonder where that end zone goes when they're done. And so I called the NFL, tracked it down, and, and bought it. And um, I, so I carpeted that room with the Packer P. And uh, so, yeah, I've added quite a, quite a nice little room there. And along with that, I added a lot of real estate that I was able to fill up uh, and reorganize. And, and uh, I've had a ball over the last five years uh, working with, the, with all this stuff, uh, bringing in a lot of new stuff and getting rid of a lot of items that were, uh, again, commercially uh, you know, newer age type stuff. I've gotten rid of all of that, and that's all vintage items now. I, I don't have anything really that's new um, in my collection. But you know, some of the some of the great things that I've brought in, um, I've managed to get an ice bowl, actual ice bowl game trophy ball, and uh, that's probably the highlight of my collection. Uh, I found a 65 championship trophy ball. Um, uh, I've got a Super Bowl 45 game used ball. Um, I found a 1920s Curly Lambo equipment trunk, uh, which is saw that. Yeah, to think about it. Your turnstile. Uh, your turnstile was pretty cool between the two rooms. I love that. Yeah, yeah. The turnstile, everybody loves it. it I got that right from Lambo Field and. Um, I, it was just being in the right place at the right time on that thing. And, um, I happened to be up from Texas with my truck and they needed to move it out of the way. And I happened to be walking by and they said, Hey, you're a big guy. Help us move this. And I said, well, how about we move it down to my truck? And she said, well, we're getting rid of it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So, uh, that is uh, the definition of right place at the right time, Glenn. Oh, it, oh my gosh crazy but uh yeah i found uh, you know uh i found a couple of uh great 1944 blue and gold uh sideline sweaters um from uh somebody that had contacted me that they found them in their relatives things and um i'll talk about that later i guess but um i've got donnie anderson's sideline coat and his and donnie anderson's uh gold pro bowl helmet from uh, um, the 60s. Uh, I found a 1960s Packer practice field sign that was up in somebody's uh, garage. Uh, They didn't know the printing side was up in their garage and they'd store their fishing poles and whatnot, you know, up there in the rafters. And they pulled it down (laughs) one day and said, oh, my gosh, this thing is painted on the other side. And, Sure enough, it's the actual practice field sign from the '60s, and uh, it's in a lot of the books that uh, he. Um, what else did I get? Um, I've uh, gotten an ice bowl and a '66 championship full tickets. Um, uh, one of each of those. Um, I ran into. Uh, uh, Tony Canadeo's sideline coat, which is pretty cool. It's a canvas coat, printed black mm-hmm. on the back with Packers, and it's got a fur, a fur um, collar on it, and it's got the number three right on. 
Oh, okay. I was going to say, how do you know the prov- how do you know the provenance of that? I was going to say it just it had the number three on it. Okay. Yeah, it's got the number three on it, and um, it was uh, uh, you know after Tony had it, uh, uh, Henry Jordan had it, and um, oh. Uh, so and and I'm friends with Henry Jordan's sons. Henry is his name. So um, the provenance is pretty strong, and that uh, found through the through the years. So um, that's that was a big find. Uh, I managed to get Brett Favre's sideline coat from the '95 championship. There's lots of iconic pictures out there of him and Reggie White hugging and crying after that game. They were finally going back to the. Uh, taking the Packers back to their Super Bowl after 30 years, and, and he's wearing that coat with a number four embroidered on the bottom, and I was able to get that. Um, so a few, I think it was 2015, I was up in Green Bay over uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, I'm sitting there at a program um, that that's talking at, and, and the mayor presents him with the uh, key to the city. And uh, I'm sitting there in the audience like, you know, most people can just go to those things and enjoy themselves. But I'm sitting there trying to figure out how I'm going to get that key to the city. And I told myself, I said, well, someday he's going to sell all that stuff. And, well, sure enough, uh, you know, this last uh, year, actually, I, I was keeping my eyes open for it. It did come on the market, and I was able to get that uh, Brett Favre's key to the city of Green Bay. So um, I kept that promise to myself. Um, I found a rare set of 1929 world champion Packer uh, pocket mirrors. They're just incredible old, you know, stiller photographs that are um, embossed into the uh, celluloid um, cover of these um of these pocket mirrors and they are just so extinct there. I think there's maybe one other set known in the, in, in the world. So uh, those were just fantastic to run across. Um, I uh, got Reggie White's 96, uh, 1996 Super Bowl 31 game ball that he was presented for uh, breaking the NFL sack record. Um, wow! I got Jerry Kramer's 1961 player contract, uh, which was pretty cool. I I was excited to get you know obviously Jerry is is uh, is a great player and so forth, but it's I was actually excited excited to get it because it was signed by Pete Rozelle. I, I thought you know that I I hadn't had anything with his signature on it, and I was I was kind of excited to to have him Lombardi. Uh, Jack Venisi and and uh, and uh, uh, Jerry Kramer on that uh, all all signing that contract. But uh, you know, other than that, I ran into a, a couple of team signed balls from the Curly Lambo years. So Curly and and his entire team have signed the balls from '37 and '38. And um, you know, th- those are things that you know years ago I could only dream about uh, acquiring. Yeah. And I've I've really done. Uh, gone above and beyond what I what I ever dreamt of acquiring uh, with my collection. So uh, my wow, my bobbleheads increased from about forty the last time we talked, and now I've got about eighty six of those. And uh, wow, pennants, uh, I, I've now got a hundred and six pennants that stretch from nineteen early nineteen twenties to 
I do, uh, you know, I I know that I'm missing two. Um, I've got two that I I I know that are out there because of another collector friend of mine has them. And um, okay, <laughs> you know, I keep Glenn sending his wife messages about how much they're worth and hoping she'll tell him to sell them. So uh, it's not okay. working so far. <laughs> Yeah, I was just saying, Glenn, you created the comprehensive uh, pennant list, you know, for the Packers. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's something that I'm going to be working on, Joe. Actually, I'm I'm working on writing a book on Packer pennants, and I'm going to have what I perceive, based on my my history and my uh, my personal experience with buying them, what they're worth. Uh, you know, there's a there's a few books floating around out there with you know, Packer memorabilia and so forth that were written years ago that have, or even there, there's even a pennant book out there, uh, I should say, that uh, has values. But, uh, you know, they're not realistic based on today and what these pennants are really selling for. I mean, some of these pennants are just absolutely crazy. I was getting a kick out of you guys talking about how uh, um, cards have gone up in value and that they're just so crazy. And, Man, what Packer pennants have done over the years is just unreal. What you know, the values have just skyrocketed on these things. So I think it's important not only to catalog them and and just just for history's sake. I think it'll be it'll be cool to have them all cataloged uh, and values on there, and even some history of. Um, you know how the pennants were made and how they were printed, or or paint. Some of them hand painted, um, and I think people will get a kick out of that. So um, uh, that's something yeah, I've, been, I've been working on a little bit. So yeah, I think you should really do that because it's uh, it's a story that needs to be told, and I do agree with you on a lot of pieces of memorabilia, especially pennants. From what I've seen from different price guides and quote unquote pricing. It's way out of line with yeah. what's what's really being bought out there and how much items are being paid for, and especially yeah. the Packers because such great demand. Um, you know, it's, yep. people want. You know, it's as simple as that. I mean, I I got a half a dozen older pennants in my collection, nowhere near you know yours, but I'm saying to myself, those pennants are very valuable today because you oh, don't yeah. see a lot they, of them out there, and there's always yeah. a demand for them, one way or the other. You know. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, you know, there there's pennants that are, you know, I, there, there's one that comes to mind that, you know, in the in a pennant guide, you know, they have down there for two hundred and fifty dollars, and you know, it it will sell for twelve hundred to fifteen hundred every day. Right. It's uh, wow. Yeah. And I was just gonna say that it's not uncommon to see a lot of Packer pennants thousand dollars plus now. So uh, oh, that's the real market. Really becoming common. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And, you know, all right. I get, 
the uh, the Super Bowl. Well, I put you on the spot. No, go ahead. Well, I want to put you on the spot, and I want to move along. Uh, what are the top six items in the collection, and can you describe them to our audience? Yeah, well, uh, I I had to ponder that because of the uh, sheer volume of great things that I I I'm just so fortunate to have here. But I whittled it down to to six six items, and then a couple of backups here. But um, for sure, the <laughs> the uh, the top thing on my list is uh, my ice bowl um, football, um, football and my right 65 championship uh, game ball. Both of those came from a Packer employee uh, the, uh, family. It was in their family for 50 years. And um, the provenance on it is just insane. Um, they were actually in charge of the footballs <laughs> and before and during and after the game. And uh, they were in charge of having the footballs lettered even after for the uh, trophy balls. And so, uh, you know, one of these balls were presented to uh, this employee and um, for both years. And so they they sat in this family for 50 years uh, up until wow. recently, actually, and I was able to get it. And it, the ice bowl ball itself, uh, you know, to talk about that one first, I mean, the ends of it are chewed up from the shards of of ice on that field, and um, oh, it's man. stained from stained <laughs> from being wet. And um, you know, I I actually sitting here with the two balls right now, and that one is actually easily 15 degrees colder than the other one. Um, it wow. it's still cold. Wow! Uh, wow! <laughs> no, but. Um, you know the uh, I learned so much through that process about Packer footballs and 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 how they were handled and and how they um, you know the the demand for the footballs back then was incredible. They had to hustle. Each team got six balls in a ball bag, and they had to at the end of the game the six balls were hustled back in the ball bag and. Ran into the equipment manager's office where they were put under lock and key, and because people wanted those game balls back then, and um, so especially for the ice bowl and the and the championship games, uh, that was especially wow. true. But the uh, '65 championship ball that I have is, um, you know, of course that was uh, Brown's last game, um, Jim Brown's last game to play in the NFL. Which is pretty neat. Oh wow! And uh, you know uh, that was also known as the Mud Bowl, and there's still mud in all the laces of this football, which I'm so glad they didn't clean that part off. They the rest of the ball is clean. They had to paint it, but there's still mud in the laces. And uh, um, anyway, those two items uh, I kind of clumped together on on my favorites. Uh, you know, those are the kind of things, uh, Joe and, and uh, Bob, that, you know, I've been to the Packer Hall of Fame, I don't know how many times over my lifetime, and you go through the trophy case and you stare at that ice bowl trophy ball in there and you still stare at the 65 championship ball and you're like, well, that's one thing that's not on my list that I'll ever see, you know. Uh, I'll never get that away from the Hall of Fame. And, and 
I, it never dawned on me that there was more than one, you know, that they, they, they did several of these uh, game balls. And uh, to, to think that I have them is I've never seen them in, in 25, 26 years of collecting. I've never seen one on, uh, come available. And uh, um, I'm, I'm just thrilled that I'm able to have that in my collection. Um, the third item that is crazy is the Curly Lambo equipment trunk that I have. Um, you know, it's uh, it's circa 1920s to 1940s, which I guess you'd assume because those are the years Curly was with the team. Um, you know, it's got his name painted on it and Green Bay Packers, Green Bay, Wisconsin on it. And uh, the uh, provenance on that is just so great um it uh it, it's a quick quick little story i guess I'll, I'll do it real quick but um gerald clifford was an attorney with uh with the packers uh one of the hungry five if i'm not mistaken uh that um really promoted the packers uh through um uh, thick and thin back there back then and um so Curly left the team in 1948. Um, the trunk was actually left. Uh, it was he left. Uh, Curly left the trunk with the Packers. Well, the Packers were so, you know, there were so many people that were unhappy that Curly had left. That you know, they even though he went to the Cardinals, he, he they still wanted to treat him like royalty. So they wanted to make sure they got the, his trunk back. Well, he gave it to Clifford. And um, Clifford had a different idea about Curly, apparently. And, and, and this is all through um, Clifford's neighbor who ended up with the trunk. And uh, apparently Clifford felt that Curly had run the Packers into the ground. Um, he swore that Curly was talking very seriously about moving the Packers out of Green Bay. And uh, that's when the board of directors decided you know, enough was enough, and, and they weren't going to go for that. Curly left, and, um, you know, the rest is history. But um, the uh, Clifford ended up with, well, his trunk and, and Curly's trunk. And so a neighbor, uh, two years later, decided to move from Green Bay to uh, Naperville, Illinois, and uh, used the trunks to put glassware in. And uh, saying that they'd return him. Well, by the time they moved there and so forth, Clifford died, <laughs> and uh, so they had nowhere to return them to. So they they kept them, and so uh, they got passed down once in the family. They used them for storing things, you know, in the attic. They had no clue really why these army-looking uh, be of any value. Well, they ended up in a garage sale for $25. And um, someone with enough sense found them, and uh, well, the, the, curly, the curly Lambo trunk ended up in my hands. So, uh, wow. Uh, it's just amazing to me how these things end up in rummage sales and in flea markets and so forth. And uh, even to this day, great things are coming uh, out of the woodwork. But... Um, yeah, do you have one more, Glenn, or 
I did. Um, just getting over to my list. Well, um, I think I touched, I, I touched on it a little bit already, and that was the uh, the Canadeo um, sideline mm-hmm. coat. Um, you know, I I that's definitely one of my favorite items. Of course, I've got a you know I've got the '60s green and gold. I've got the uh, blue and gold. Um, Code, but this one is just so special. It, I I don't know of another one out there except there's one in the NFL Hall of Fame, and uh, wow. uh, it's definitely a highlight of my collection having that thing, and especially because uh, it was a friend's father's coat from from those years, uh, from from the uh, yeah. from the early '60s and so forth. So, um, yeah. So yeah. other than that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, that kind of leads me to my question. I mean, you're talking about the breadth of your collection. I, I kind of had a two-parter. I mean, what's your white whale? What What is the what is the thing you're actively seeking? And then how do you get most of your most of the stuff that's in your collection? I mean, I've heard stories from serendipity, you know, walking by while they're tearing down turnstiles to, you know, to calling the NFL to get the pee from, uh, you know, from the end zone. I mean, how do, how do you get that, that you know, which is – Pretty good. Wow. How do you get most of your yeah. stuff? And then what's on your want list? Well, good point. You know, uh, Joe, I'm at the point with my my collection that I don't really know what else is out there. Every you know, every couple of weeks, I'll get an email from somebody, and it may be you know, I, I run an ad in in a great magazine called Gridiron Greats, uh, saying that I'm I'm always actively looking for things. Um, it might be coming from something like that. Um, it might be because you know if you if you Google Green Bay Packer collector, my name comes up a million times. Um, but I get people calling me and emailing me constantly with things, uh, just like the two blue and uh, gold uh, 1944 sweaters. Uh, a gal texted me and said, "Hey, these were in my." Uh, uh, great aunt's possessions. She just passed away. I cleaned out the house, and uh, they belong to my great uncle who played for the Packers. Do you have any interest in these? And uh, or could you tell me something about these? And I said, Oh, yeah, I sure can. And I said they're very, <laughs> they're very rare and, and valuable. And uh, you know, would you be interested? My mom, in, my know? mom might have worn one. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, that's. Unfortunately, that's what happened here. Um, the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, uh, she said the uh, she would be interested in selling one of them, and I gave her what I valued it at, which was, you know, I always give people extremely fair prices. Yes. I, I, I don't, I will not lowball people. I, I don't believe in that. Yes. I, I just everything has a value, and you've got to sleep at night. And, um, yes. you know, she basically started crying over what I told her. And so it was able, she was able to look at it as an inheritance. She was able to put it in. She had nothing saved up for a little guy that was going to be going to school someday. And it made her day. And, well, anyway, I ended up buying both of them once she figured out how much they were worth. But, um, the point is, you know, these things are starting to find me more than I'm looking for yes. them. The ice bowl you know, ball and the same thing, you know, uh, somebody just decided, Hey, I wonder what these things are worth. And, um, you know, uh, 
they feel good about the stuff going to my collection. You know, I, I'm I'm really happy about that. I'm 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 happy yeah. people, like, you know, that it's not a pawn shop or something. You know what I mean? It's it's I've got a museum yeah. basically, and, and they feel good that that their stuff is going to be safe. But um, they, again, to answer your question, I honestly don't know. I you know, unless I find a pair of Bart Starr's cleats, uh, you know, or, or Vince Lombardi's sideline coat, uh, sideline, you know, full-length um, raincoat, uh, you know, I, or his hat or something, you know, I, I don't know uh, what else I really, you know, uh, what else I can do. What else can I find? You know, it's, uh, um, there's, there's always a few things out there, but uh, I'm, uh, you know, after finding the ice bowl ball, I, I'm just so satisfied right now. <laughs> but you, you uh, must have yeah. just recently added that ice ball to your collection, then. Uh, yeah, it was just within the last two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's uh, pretty recent. Wow, that's that pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there there are things. You know, I'm I'm going after ticket stubs from all the championships. Um, you know, I've got as far back as '44, but I have nothing, you know, earlier than that. So I, I'm I'm trying to complete that collection. I'm trying to complete my collection of uh, championship programs, and uh, I think I go back to '39 on that. Um, but uh, you know, I I. I need to, uh, you know, at this point, I'm just trying to complete different niches that I've that I've started. You know, whether it's pinbacks or, or programs or or championship ticket stubs, and uh, you know, of course, I've I've left all of the real heavy stuff till the last because some of this stuff I, I wish I would have done it ten years ago when it was affordable. And uh, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Everything's that way now with collecting. Yes, it's, uh, it's absolutely crazy how the prices have skyrocketed. Hey, Glenn, I got wow. I got a quick Glenn. Yes. Um, quick question. I had a, I had a little audio difficulty there, um, and I got to wrap it up because we're almost out of time. Any sure. final thoughts on your collection or collecting in general? Well, um, I think I've. I've wore out my welcome talking about my collection, but um, <laughs> you know, I I I Trust could go on. Everybody's tired. Everybody's tired. Everybody's tired of hearing a Steve Lar- about Steve Largent cards. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could go on and on about Steve, but uh, I'll let you do that. But uh, <laughs> you know, as far as collecting goes, Bob and Joe, you know, the, the one thing that's kind of been fun for me uh, over the last few years. I've had a lot of young collectors contact me. And, you know, I've I've gone out there. I'm on social media. I've got a Facebook page um, with my collection. And I get a lot of young guys asking me pointers about, hey, you know, my gosh, this is a dream, you know, to look at yours. I want to start something. Where do you think I should start? And I, I'm getting a kick out of that because uh, ver- I have to because otherwise if I look at it that, oh, my God, I'm getting old and people are asking me uh, for advice, uh, I'll get depressed. But uh, the um, 
these guys are coming to me and saying, hey, where do I start on this? What, what do you recommend? And I'm honest with them. You know, you just have to find something that you have a passion about, whether it's a pennant, whether yeah. it's bobbleheads, whether it's uh, photos that are signed, and you just go with it. And as you're able to replace things with more valuable vintage items, then do it. And someday you'll be sitting in a 750-square-foot collection that, uh, <laughs> that that's crazy, you know. So, wow. Uh, Wow. So yeah, that, that's the one thing about collecting that I'm uh, that I'm getting a kick out of. I, I'm enjoying helping the the younger guys uh, appreciate it a little bit and, and understand well, you know, that it's important to do this. Good on you. That's a great, good on you, Glenn. I like a it. Great, great sign for the hobby that that's happening because that's what we need. We need the young blood in this hobby to take down yeah. our collections as we get older. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. And uh, yeah. I, I'm so. I'm just yeah. so glad you made my night with what you just said because it shows me there's hope for the hobby and people are out there, young guys and gals are out there wanting the collection and they want to they want to pick up stuff and and that that's wonderful. That really is that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A good and I love really Glenn, good, good for the hobby. Yeah, Glenn, I loved your story about fair prices. I I, I got to say when I first got into the hobby, there was a guy who sold a couple cards and. I reached out and just offered him a very, very fair price. Uh, yeah. And he's like, you know, I got a call from someone ten, you know, ten minutes before you because I posted these on some chat room, and the guy just lowballed me. And he goes, it left such a bad taste in my mouth. We ended up doing oh. that deal, uh, another deal. Uh, I went and visited him down in Arizona and hung out with the guy. Wow. We became good friends, and I just, I personally think that kickstarted me getting into the hobby and just. I don't know, as cheesy as that sounds, it's just that karma really plays forward and just treating people, you know, as good as they as good as you can, you know, even if they don't know any better. Right. Well right. exactly. And and a lot of people don't know better and boy, you yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be the guy that you know, uh, sitting there uh, buying something for a hundred bucks that was worth two thousand when they found out because you know, uh, um you look like a dog and, and nothing's worth right. that in life. You know, I'd rather have somebody in tears because you're giving them a great news. You know, I, I'd rather have it that way. So, you know. Right. Right. Glenn, it sounds well, like you've got uh, keyword, keyword spamming, uh, you know, for people to find you that's enviable of most small companies. So, nice job. Well, thanks. Thanks. Uh, it's, it's been a, a fun time here with this collection, so I appreciate it. Well, Glenn, I'm, I'm almost out of time, so i got to wrap it up. I just want everybody to know you're going to be the super collector in our issue 16 in the April um, the April spring issue of Gridiron Greats Magazine, so be on a lookout for that. Glenn, thank you for being on the show tonight, and I appreciate it. And Brendan and I got to get down there to look at it one day. So, anytime. Uh, anytime you're here. No. You never know. And I, think- I may get those. Those extra miles, and I'll be uh, flying down there. So. <laughs> we'll Let's out. do it. Let's do it. I, I'd love it. I, I would love it. Um, thanks so much for having me on the show, and um, and we will be in touch. I appreciate it, guys. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you, Glenn. Bye right, now. We're down to 45 seconds. Real quick, we've been sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out the website, msbsportscards.com. And BSC Auctions, check out their website, bscauctions.com. Also, Joe, uh, I, I'm speechless after this show because uh, his collection yeah. is amazing. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, like I, I said, 
It's amazing. Seeing the pictures of that collection, just the way he's got them organized, everything, and yeah, it's incredible. What an amazing guest. What I just, I, I, what a classy man. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. All right, we're out of time. We're out of time. We got five seconds, and uh, we'll be thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be back in March with a couple more shows. Thanks for listening. Good night. And and Bob promises to fix his audio. Thank you, everyone. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact... Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.